Hey, this is Tolly Wilkins of Captivate Church, and we're so glad you've joined us on our podcast today. This is one way that we can take our message from Baltimore all across the world. We pray that today encourages you, inspires you to become the man or woman that God's designed you to be. So today we find ourselves in week four, but we're talking about Enneagram 3. And if you're just dropping in, I know it could be a little confusing, um, but the Enneagram is essentially a personality tool like Myers-Briggs and DISC and some others. But the Enneagram happens to reveal itself through hundreds of combinations, literally hundreds. Um, But the core uh, system is essentially nine distinct archetypes or or overall attitudes. And uh, they they happen to relate really, really well with what the the gospel reveals to us as the fruit of the Spirit. If the Spirit um, is allowed to live and move and have His being in us, that the fruit of that uh, will be that we reflect Um, these attributes, and the scripture doesn't refer to fruits, plural, but the fruit, that if we would just allow the spirit to work, this is the byproduct. Now, with that being said, all of us, we have a tendency to attach ourselves to a a few of those. We can look and just say, oh yeah, I'm I'm pretty good in these areas, but the problem is, is that in our discipleship, we tend to ignore the ones that were weaker, and so what we're doing in this series is that we're investigating our own self first in light of the scripture And we're allowing the scripture to tell us, hey, uh, this is where we're on track just naturally, but this is where we have some uh, flaws and some places to grow. And so what we're trying to do is to be honest in this series and realize that everyone in this room has strengths that are God-given, glorious, honor him. We also have weaknesses that our flesh tries to to compensate. Um, And instead of living according to the, the spirit, we live according to the flesh. So to get a summary, you can go back to the first message in this series where we talked about living according to the Spirit. And so that's really our goal. And so today we come upon our friends that are in the the Enneagram uh, 3. We started with Enneagram 1. There's a graphic I want to show you. And in the Enneagram 1 category, the 8, 9, and 1, they come out of this uh, triad of um, called the gut that is has anger um, underneath the surface. Um, They handle that differently. But we talked and we started with one just so it would be easy uh, for us to keep track. But the one really kind of changes how they respond to anger. They try not to show their anger, but it's always kind of festering. The eight lets it come out, doesn't really care. The nine kind of distances themselves from the idea that they're affected at all. And so the anger is always below the surface, but we handle it differently. The one, uh, or the two, three, and four, they have... This idea of, of uh, they, a need for appearance or um, approval, um, but it comes in different ways. The two we talked last week is the helper, the epitome of the helper. They are the greatest uh, people who love, 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 and you really want twos in your life. I'm telling you, you really want them in your life. The challenge is that the rest of us could take advantage of twos. And so we talked about how twos, if they would just find joy in Christ, they would find some peace there, and they wouldn't always be serving others in order to be validated The threes, they don't really care too much about having to serve you to find validation. But they do care about your validation, whether they'll tell you that or not. Now, the threes, uh, they they have a primary focus of attention that that are tasked to accomplish, to receive praise and recognition. The threes tend to be high energy. Out of all of the personality types, the the eights, sevens, and threes tend to be your leaders. They tend to be your aggressive go-getters in the personality realm, 
And so the threes, they come out and they, man, they dress the part. They look the part. They work real hard. They study. They get their act together. And then they go out and achieve a lot of stuff. And it, they, what they're looking for is the rest of us to look and just say, man, you are so sharp. You are on your game. You got it together. You look the part. You play the part. You're smart. You lead. And what they, they want is that craving of validation that way. Whereas the two wants the craving of validation through, man, thank you so much for loving me and serving me. The three says, no, 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 I'm going to get your validation by what I can do. And I want you to be impressed with how well put together I am. The need to appear polished, productive, and look like I have it all together. This is the struggles for the three. A constant internal pressure to be successful and perform at maximum efficiency. A deep anxiety about my personal value and doubting that I can be truly loved for being simply myself. You see, the threes, similar to the eights, they can be misconstrued for one another sometimes, but they come across with an air of authority and an air of success um, that the rest of the world looks at and just says, man, they, they must have it all together. The problem that you don't understand with the three is that they don't feel like they can truly just kind of let it all down and just be themselves because they might not be accepted for just who they are. They have to prove themselves with success. There's a gentleman named Daniel Lee I'll reference a couple times. In my research on the three, I just felt like um, that uh, Daniel did a, a, an excellent job at the descriptor, um, and he's a pastor as well, and so I just loved how uh, he tied this together. And so um, I always feel that it's the, the absolute right thing, ethical thing, moral thing, that when, uh, when a chunk of thought comes from somebody, um, that you should give them credit for it. So um, he says this about the, the three. Enneagram type threes are commonly known as the performer or achiever. Threes are driven by a need to succeed or at least to appear successful. Threes aim to impress others with their skills, their knowledge, and their accomplishments. This is why the vice of the threes is deceit. Threes are expert mask wearers. Threes can become whatever, whoever they need to be in any given situation in order to fit or in order to make others think highly of them. The danger for the three is that they can become a social chameleon to the point that they lose their own identity, deceiving others to the degree that they end up believing in their own false persona. Self-deceit is the true vice of the three. There's a chart I want to show you. We talked about the competitive achiever, the performer, the three, their rest fruit, meaning that if they, if, if they don't have to work very hard at this because they are chameleons, because they know how to read a room really well, threes are pretty good at intuition and, and reading people and situations because they're doing that in order to be able to say what wins here, what fits here. And so to the three, they, they say, man, uh, kindness would be something you would, you would say about a three. That would, it's, it's no big deal. Like, it just comes easy. And so this fruit of the Spirit, one of those is kindness, one of the parts of the fruit. And, and so kindness, man, threes will come across, and you're just like, yeah, I kind of like threes. Like, I, I vibe with them. Like, they, they really feel well. Threes are incredible salesmen. Um, threes in their stories will tend to always compare themselves to someone great. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so they end up being somebody that you're just like, yeah, man, they're pretty affable. Like, I, I enjoy um, the three. The challenge is, as we just described, is deceit. Kind of they're, they're putting forward an image they want the world to believe, and so they end up in this self-deceit cycle where they go, they believe their own press clippings. So they write the article about themselves that they want the world to read, and then they start to buy into it. So then that self-generates into this attitude that as a person goes through years and years and years telling themselves how great they are, they actually start to buy into it. 
And, and so they walk around with this, this thing that just says, hey, I'm, I'm kind of owed to be a leader or in charge. The stretch fruit for the three is uh, peace. So love, joy, peace. When we think about the, the three, it's got to be a tumultuous cycle inside their heart to always want to be leader, always want to be seen as well, always want to perform and be better. And uh, sometimes the childhood wound there could be that, that a family member or relative was better or my parents did so well, I've got to achieve well or whatever it might be. But there was something that said, you need to stand out. You need to read the room, find out what a win is and go achieve that win so that people will like you. And so they don't have that inward peace that just says, calm down. Um, what I've found with the threes, though, when they start to get healthy, nature is incredible for threes. Nature it allows threes to just calm down and realize, like, wow, all this was done without me. God created all of this. Um, man, I can be so in tune with it. And uh, so three, threes get their peace, whether they realize it or not. What they're striving for is when they're healthy, they actually gravitate over to that that peace, that sense of I don't have to be the most significant thing around. I actually kind of enjoy being in awe of something else. The strengths of the three, they're efficient at getting things done. They're adaptable and driven. They enjoy motivating others to success. So would you like to be around threes? Because they'll push you pretty good. Appreciated for their many successes. They're practical, energetic, organized, self-assured, competent, team builder, strategic thinker. It's, it's not too often that you're going to find a three that isn't somehow rising up in whatever social grouping they're in or whatever business they have or whatever career path. It's not too often that you're going to find a three that's just kind of like, eh, I'll settle here. Um, threes don't like that. Three, threes are just like, what do I got to do next? What do I got to do next? Um, we have uh, a bunch of threes here at the church, and every single one of them, um, are, they're busy. They're, just always do, they're always doing more. And I'm just like, what are you doing? Well, I got, I got to do this, and I got to hold down this job, and I'm going to get an advancement over here, and I'm going to get over to this. And it's just like finding that next place all the time. And so that's just like this inward drive. They're like the Energizer bunny when it comes uh, to their life. And so threes will do that. And then they're organized, and they're good usually at what they're doing. Um, they are competent, and they can help others get there too. So they make for great leaders. The weaknesses to the three, they're image conscious to the point they're being self-conscious. They can overindulge uh, themselves in the idea of, of appearance. Efficiency can lead to using people to accomplish things instead of using things to show value for people. Performers, they anticipate how success will be defined, then they show up on that role like a peacock strutting feathers. A three wants to be appreciated. Superficiality or even vanity can come from wanting to be seen as, as successful. And can, they can become workaholics to accomplish more tasks in order to be seen as successful. So when you see the threes, you notice um, their, their uh, drive, their energy that's uh, just constantly perpetuating. The vice of the three is deceit, as we talked about, in their attempt to be successful and efficient. A non-resourceful three does whatever is necessary, including deceit. The ends can justify the means because their image is supreme at the end of the day. They can, op they can be open to allowing people to think what they want so as long as they're viewed as the winners. Threes want to be on top. They want to be perceived by others as being on top. So when they're self but when they're self-aware and healthy, they can turn around their deceitful patterns. But when they're unhealthy, they can even lie to themselves and thereby succumb to self-deceit. Deceit doesn't mean necessarily a three is like waking up today saying, who can I lie to? Usually what it means is they're, they're, they are so good at so many things that they will take on more. And what happens when you take on too many things? How many of you have ever seen the old black and white footage of Lucille Ball at the end of a, uh, of the end of a conveyor belt with chocolate? 
You ever see that old, it's pretty common, if not, Google it after service. Don't do it now. You start giggling during my reading of Genesis 33. And, but she's, she's just trying to pack so many things in. And so what happens is she starts to, to eat some of the chocolate and stuff them in her, her, her. That's exactly what a three does. A three goes and goes and goes. And then when it starts to get too much, they're willing to t- cut some corners. They're willing to cut some red tape in order to just simply get the job done and look better for their peers or their their bosses. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. They need to be peace-oriented. The stretch value, peace. Peace is found in Jesus alone. The three works incredibly hard and often incredibly efficient and is often very successful at their work. The challenge is is that the three has wide open cracks in their own peace. The ability to rest, to pause, to calm down long enough to appreciate the world around them um, can come when they find peace for their souls. Instead of trying to fill the void of self through their adulations and congratulations and the esteem of success, pursue peace with God and peace with others, knowing that you are loved just as you are. Then, with this new confidence, use your talents to bring shalom to others. I want you to check out this video, and uh, it's a quick couple of minutes, but it speaks to what the Bible describes as what peace means in this context, shalom. The word peace is common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or times of peace. It means the absence of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is erene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals are missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting, it also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate, and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom, and his reign would bring shalom with no end. A time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Irene. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. Jesus came to offer his peace to others, like when he said to his followers, my peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. 
The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the Apostle Paul can say Jesus himself is our Irene. He was the whole complete human that I am made to be but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciled all things in heaven on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace. It's from the Bible project that um, some of the curriculum, the gospel project, um, is uh, all a part of the same group. And I just felt like, man, it's so much easier um, to give you guys a quick intermission and uh, let them explain that. And I felt like it does a good job. Uh, Daniel Lee goes on. He says, one prime example of a three in the Bible is Jacob. And he sets up, and the reason I'm reading this is that uh, Jacob has uh, quite a bit going on in, in um, the book of Genesis. And so uh, Daniel's able to break it down pretty quickly for you. And one of the prime examples of a three in the Bible is Jacob. Jacob's story is recorded in the middle of Genesis. Jacob and his brother Esau were fraternal twin sons of Isaac and Rebekah, the grandsons of Abraham and Sarah. Even from the womb, Jacob was a deceiver. At their birth, Jacob's limb stuck out first, but his brother was actually the firstborn. Jacob came second, grabbing on the heel of Esau. And Jacob's name literally means heel grabber or deceiver. Jacob would eventually go on to trick his older brother out of his birthright and his, therefore his blessing. Jacob's early days represent the unhealthiest side of three, success at any cost. Rather than confront Esau and just own up to his own actions, Jacob runs. Jacob then went on to work for his un uncle uh, Laban. While working there, Laban gave Jacob a taste of his own medicine by deceiving him into marrying Leah and Rachel. He wanted the second, but it was a two-for-one deal. But during this time, it seems that Jacob turns a corner. He no longer tries to win at all costs. The ultimate challenge for Jacob came when he made the decision to go home and confront his past, possibly one of the hardest things for a three to do. When Jacob was making his way back home, he had an encounter with God that would leave him crippled. Jacob wrestled with God all night, and he didn't win. Sometimes the best thing can happen to a three is failure. We learn far more from our failures than we do from our successes. Threes want to avoid failure at all costs, but it's this very thing that could lead the three to growth and transformation, and I dare say for all of us. When Jacob finally did confront Esau, things were not nearly as bad as he had imagined. He had feared for the worst, that Esau was going to still hold this, his deceptions against him, and he would seek revenge for all that Jacob had taken from him. Much to Jacob's surprise, he was greeted with open arms of forgiveness. Before Jacob met his brother face to face, he tried to soften things up by sending ahead flocks and herds and gifts. And I want you to look at this interaction that follows. Genesis 33, 4 to 11. I wanted you to show you this interaction when he's coming back to his uh, trying to make things right with his brother. The deception has happened. Life has been lived. Stole his brother's birthright. Now he's got to own up to it. And I'll dare say that all of us have these moments in our life. And I think um, clearly, I really believe that you shouldn't follow uh, a leader that doesn't have a limp. Um, I, I think that there, it's unhealthy to follow somebody 
that admits to no wrongs and has no brokenness. Um, it, that, the, the whole point of coming to the gospel is to come and to understand that you have brokenness. And so I've um, quickly realized when I was younger in ministry that part of the issue wasn't that young people don't make um, good or are not smart enough or know the Bible enough. Part of it is they have yet to really be broken. And in my younger days in the ministry, I'd, everything I took, touched turned to gold. And then we went through a season where it, was, it didn't work out that way. And going through a season of overwhelming um, uh, just pressure and, and, and cracking under that pressure allowed me to really become much more uh, humble as, as a leader. And I really believe that all of us could use um, some humility. All of us could embrace some losses and brokenness. And that allows us to rise up much, much better. So I think all of us can relate to this. But here he is. He's coming back. And it says, but Esau ran to meet him. Esau, his older brother, ran to meet him and embraced him. Remember, he took his birthright away. He took his, his, his resource. He took his place in the family. He took all of that away from him. But he ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And they wept. This coming back to, to brother to brother. Three, I want you to know, for all of us, I want you to know, there is grace available to you that will bring you peace. You are striving. You are pushing you are trying to get ahead. You want to be liked and you want to be respected. But I want you to know that there's a grace of God that looks and says, you don't have to earn this. I love you as you are. And that grace is revealed in, in Esau's love for his brother. It, it, it's poured out and pointed to there for us. As a three, you might find yourself always wanting to prove yourself. But as a Christian, I want you to understand that there's grace. Before he had done anything, before the conversation had even happened, Esau had offered forgiveness that Jacob didn't earn. Verse 5, and when Esau lifted up his eyes and he saw the women and children, he said, who are these with you? Jacob said, the children who God graciously given your servant. He refers to him as a servant. This humble posture of a three. Three, learn to, to be able to, to be humble to others. You always don't have to be on top. You can sometimes come and just and, and leave yourself humbly. Especially you should do that. If you knew that you deceived someone, you knew that you hurt someone, you knew you ran someone over. Um, usually threes, uh, similar to eights, man, threes are, are successful like a firecracker, and when they fail, <laughs> they're like a firecracker. And so usually there's pretty big pivot points to be able to come and to just say, you know, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm making things right, I'm trying to. Then the servants drew near, and they and their children, and they bowed down. Leah likewise, and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. Esau said, what did you mean by all this company that I met? You see, in the, uh, before, in Genesis 32, it talks about this company. I want you to see what it says in Genesis 32, verse 13. So he stayed there the night, and from then he had took a present for his brother Esau. So he's sending ahead a gift 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. These he handed over to his servants, every drove by itself. So each grouping by itself. And he said to his servants, pass on ahead of me, meaning go see my brother first, pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove to drove. So he wanted waves upon waves of gifts to hit his brother before he ever got there to see him. 
So, so he's sitting there saying, I'm going to impress him even in my humility, even in my um, understanding, even in my coming to make peace. I'm still going to send overwhelming amounts of supply and stuff and resource and wealth to him before I walk in the room. Do you see that even in his own best effort in the flesh to try to make things right, he's still showing that he's impressive. He's still trying to make things right by saying, look at how well I do apologies. My friends, when you fall, when, when you failed, when you knew you didn't live up, your tendency, and this is true for every personality type, your tendency to try to make things right is usually to go to the flesh and the toolbox that you use to make things wrong. And so before he even approaches his brother, he's like, let me send layer upon layer of stuff so that maybe I can change the perception before I have to deal with the person. He instructed him, when he saw my brother meet you and asked, to whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my Lord Esau. And moreover, he is behind us. Meaning, prep my brother, get him ready. He likewise instructed the second and the third of all who followed in droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. And you should say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought that I might appease him with the present that goes ahead of me. And afterward, I shall see his face. Perhaps, look at this, perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed ahead. He himself stayed the night in the camp. And Esau comes and he's like, what is it with all the stuff? Like, I know you're trying to make things right with me, but what is it with all of that stuff that you sent ahead? And he said, you know, what do you mean by all the company I met? Jacob answered, to find favor. To find favor. Perhaps he will accept me. Do you get that sense there? Like even in trying to make things right, you're still trying to manipulate the situation? Just be humble and broken. Just, just, just admit to what happened. Just, just own up to the failure and the mistake and the brokenness and the, the outright sin. Just own it. But many of us, we try to, 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 whether you're a three or not, you try to just manipulate everything. No, let me just tell you what the other person's looking for. I'm sorry. I messed up and here's exactly how. And that was wrong because... And I don't want to hurt you, so I will commit to not doing that again in the future. Will you please forgive me? That's a full apology. That's a full making things right. And you can use that in every relationship, wherever there's damage. If you will be big enough to be small enough to lift others up. Explain what you did wrong. Explain why it's wrong. Very particularly. Not just when people come and they're just like, I'm sorry for anything I ever did. It rings hollow. Or when somebody comes and they try to butter you up first with all this stuff and lavish on you. And then it's just like, why, what was all that? Well, I was trying to earn your favor. 
That's not what's going to earn favor. What's going to make this right is shalom. You're building back the, the peace between us. In seeking the peace of forgiveness, put away the flattery. In seeking the peace of forgiveness, put away the flattery. We all find ourselves in a hole from time to time, but our habit is to use the same tools that dug the hole to try to dig ourselves out. Three is your freedom will not come from more flattery. Your freedom will come by seeking peace. Peace with yourself, just own who you are, flaws and all. Peace with the Lord, admitting those sinful flaws that he had to die on the cross for you. Admit those to him. Confession is good for the soul. And peace with those around you. Be able to come to terms with the people around you that you've deceived or hurt or lied to or try to manipulate. Just tell them this is what it is. I had an experience like nine years ago, and I think I've told this story to you guys before, but it's helpful in this moment. Um, and, and I'm not a three, but uh, I had this experience, and I felt it was important that I share with um, our, our about 20 core or so, 25 core at the time. And I remember I was just like, listen, I need time off because my head's not right, and here's why. And I explained, and I even told that group, I was like, hey, if you think that this is a big enough deal that you don't want to um, be a part of the church anymore, you know, that's cool. And they were all like, no. And I had also um, did the same thing with my mentors and everybody that was in my life um, at, at the time that as far as leading me. And I just was transparent. And my wife was just like, wow, like you were really, really, really transparent. And I said, babe, this is the most free moment of my life. And I took a couple of months um, away and got right with the Lord and, and uh, made things well. And nothing was disqualifying sin, but it was just like I was in a place that needed to be fixed. And, and, and in all of that, though, man, I realized the freedom there is to just be at shalom and not have to worry if any of your cracks get exposed. Just live completely free and open. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, no, 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 please. If I found favor in your sight. Now remember, this is, here's a moment. I want you to see this moment. There's this moment here where Jacob could have went back down the deception category. He could have just said, hey, thanks for giving it back. I'll take it. We're good. We're good. You're good. I'm good. I'll take my stuff back. But here's what's beautiful about Jacob, he says, no, 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 please, if I've found favor. Now, afterwards, remember, he was trying to find favor. That's why he sent it. But now he's realizing the favor's there. The, the forgiveness is there. The love is there. So now he's got a new opportunity. And he says, if I've found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God. And you've accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you. Because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. Thus he urged his brother, and he took it. In peace, you will live as though you are accepted, and not trying to be accepted. When you and I find peace in our lives, we will leverage our lives for the peace of others. Jacob had a moment where he initially sent all this stuff ahead in order to be accepted. Do you understand? 
But then once he realized he was accepted, he had a new choice. What do I do with my stuff? What do I do with my wealth? What do I do with my possessions? But now that he was living from a place of acceptance, he looked at his brother and said, no, 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 please keep it. Please keep it. Now it's not a gift to try to get something from you. Now it's simply a gift because I love you and you're so gracious. Thank you. And that is a whole different transaction. How many people do you know are constantly living their lives and they only are generous when they can give something back? But the shalom life, the life that lives at peace, says, no, please, have some. No, please, have have some of my time. Have some of my talent. Have some of my treasure, please. Why? Because I have, what's the word? Enough. I have enough. I don't have a void. I don't have a lack. I don't have an emptiness. I don't have a a hole that you can fill. It's often been said that you only own what you can give away. And many of us live our lives outside of shalom because we believe that we've got to hold on to as much as possible to find fulfillment. But when you're at shalom, when you're at peace, you can give away. Going to Kenya, going to Tanzania, going to Costa Rica, Dominican, go to a third world country. You will find people who have so much more shalom than you do. And you will think that you're coming there as the rich one. They'll never see the outside of their village. But you will walk away changed because you will say they have shalom and I want it. Stuff doesn't own them. You'll have grandmothers who have multiple, multiple grandchildren living in a 10 by 10 little hut and they will beg you to come in and have tea. And you don't realize that they had to sacrifice an animal to be able to buy the supplies to be able to host you. But you know what they have that you don't have in the Western world? Peace. All of us, not just threes, all of us, we need to crave the Holy Spirit of God and ask Him to bring to our souls peace. Let me get to a place where I can use my life, my talent, my time, my treasure for the shalom of others in this world. And let me not see that as any kind of a loss. Let me put down the calculator Let me put down the spreadsheet and let me simply live out of an overflow because God, you are enough. But by our greed, by our hesitancy to serve, by our unwillingness to love others, we indeed are telling the world, I don't have enough. And the brokenness that hurts me as your shepherd, as your pastor, 
is to say by you not being able or willing to let go of some, it's just simply revealing an, a hole in your heart. And I don't say that in a judgmental way. I say that in a loving, caring, I'm sorry that you're hurting way. Because I wish you could walk through the world and simply have enough. You might be in this room. I'm going to ask that you don't move around or put your stuff away. But you might be in this room and you might say, I don't even know what it means to have enough. I, I don't have peace. And one of the places where I don't have peace is the peace, peace with God. I don't even know where, where I stand before God. The scripture compels us to not just pray a prayer, to not just say some words, but to surrender our lives over and find peace, not because we've made a deal with God or we've sent our best to God ahead of time or we've done more works or we know the Bible better, but rather because we've surrendered our souls to the one that made them. And so we bow down and we say, Lord, I'm not Lord. You are Lord of my life. Jesus, you lived a perfect life. You died sacrificially on the cross. The Bible calls that atonement or propitiation. He paid a penalty for your sin. And so you can have peace with God. You can have shalom with God, but it won't come because of any of your efforts. You've got to get to a place to where you take your soul and you lay it down at the altar and say, Lord, please save me. And I will make you my Lord. I will surrender to the fact that you are God and I am not. And it's in that surrender, it's in that sacrifice of, of giving God your soul and saying, Lord, you are Lord over my life. That is when shalom happens. Because the Bible declares in John 3.16, we all know that one. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.17 is some really good news that we often ignore. I don't know why. For Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but rather to save the world through himself. I'm like, wow, that's awesome. I'm not, I don't stand condemned. I can go to Christ. You do stand condemned. Verse 18, 19 says, For Jesus didn't need to condemn the world because the world was already condemned. And so we walk in to the presence of God and we say, God, I have nothing to give you but myself. And so through Christ dying on the cross for me, he paid the price for all of my sin. I'm coming to you with nothing to offer except for myself. Would you please save me? And like Esau running to his brother, like the prodigal dad to the son, over and over this narrative in the scriptures reveals itself that grace is nothing you can earn. And you just sit there and you just say, God, I've got nothing to give you. And like the picture of Esau holding his brother, it says that he grabbed a hold of his neck and they wept together. I want you to know your father in heaven all he's looking for out of you is to come and to submit, surrender. I'm not trying to impress anybody anymore. I'm just trying to find peace with God. My friend, it doesn't come by anything you can do except surrender to Jesus. And Jesus becomes your Lord, becomes your Savior. Those are two different words. Savior, save me from hell. We all want that. Lord means you're the boss. You're the CEO. You get to decide what is good and right and pleasant and beautiful. And so lordship 
salvation is what we really need. We need to submit ourselves and say, you're the Lord. You see how Jacob postured himself before Esau? He made right that relationship. He took away the birthright that he had stolen and he gave it back. You and I can do the same thing. Give back what you've stolen from God. You and I were not God's. And you can't earn salvation. You just have to say, Jesus, you are Lord and I'm not. And the best that I know how for the rest of my life, I will follow you. That's it. That's what salvation is. But it's not a prayer. It's a commitment from your heart. It's a surrendering of the heart, surrendering of the will. And I pray all across this room that you will find shalom. That you, like Jacob, will come and finally say, enough is enough. I'm not very impressive. You're Lord. Let's pray.